My people, welcome to Principled Minds, a podcast with a mission to uncover the core principles of making your vision for your career, finances, and relationships a reality. So, sit back, relax, open your mind, and be ready to receive at least one piece of information that may drive you to take action today. Welcome to the family. Welcome once again to another episode of The Principled Minds. It is your host, Charles Morka. So, like majority of us know, diversity and inclusion in our workplace is an important factor that contributes to the success of a team and the overall growth of a business, quite frankly, whether it's in the business you own or a company or organization you work for. However, beyond just speaking about the diversity and inclusion issues that plague various industries and societies worldwide, it is really refreshing to see individuals who have taken it upon themselves to take action in changing the narrative. Our guest on this episode is a huge advocate for representation, diversity, and inclusion, and therefore authored a book titled, When I Grow Up, I Want to Be an Accountant. He authored this book with a mission to inspire children to believe that regardless of their gender, race, or ethnic background, they too can be accountants. He shared how, as a result of mentorship, he transitioned from the path to becoming a medical doctor to now a doctor in accountancy. He is a certified public accountant, serving as a chair and associate professor in the Department of Accounting at Howard University. As a matter of fact, <laughs> at the time this episode was recorded in April of 2021, he was the youngest tenured associate professor in Howard University's Department of Accounting. He earned his PhD in accounting in 2014, with his research appearing in the Journal of Accounting and Finance, Journal of Business and Economic Perspectives, to name a few. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Dr. Adrian Mays. One fun fact about you is that you you sing. <laughs> <laughs> Would you say that's correct? That is correct. That's actually what I was going to say. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I don't sing. Like, I'm not like a soloist, but I do like harmony or harmonizing. Okay. So, yeah, I do like to sing. Yeah. Oh, nice. 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 Are you wondering how I knew that? I'm sure it's something out there. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yes, I actually found out on your Twitter that you sing. <laughs> what was it that oh, uh, you saw? I think I saw you post something about um, you singing at uh, the Game and Chorus of Washington. Yeah. Is that yeah. it? Okay. Yeah. Uh, we have three main concerts a year. It's mm-hmm. normally in uh, March, June, and December. Okay. And I've been a member for over two years now. And oh, we, yeah, we do about each other, um, those times that we do concerts, mm-hmm. it's about two or three, cons- uh, two or four different concerts during that week or two week period. Okay. Um, and then throughout the year we do outreach. So, uh, it may be, you know, singing at, uh, a church or singing at, um, 
you know, a rally. It just depends on you know, what it is. Oh, awesome. So is that something that uh, you have always known that you knew how to do? I'm just wondering when, at what point in your life did you realize that, hmm, I actually have some vocals. I can hit some notes. <laughs> yeah, so from what I was told and from videos that I hope that are not out on the internet, because <laughs> <laughs> the internet wasn't the internet, or it wasn't, or the internet wasn't, you know, even, you know, what it is. Mm-hmm. Now, hopefully nobody has taking that VHS and put it on YouTube or anything. But uh, I've been singing since I was five, I believe. That's the age I kind of remember. I actually like was a, like lead songs. Like so I was so when I said I'm not a soloist, I don't have that the same child confidence that I had <laughs> when I was singing then. But uh yeah, I've been singing since like I can remember five. Wow, that is amazing. That is amazing. You know, music has a very powerful impact in the lives of so many people. And it's like, I think it's one way that a lot of people, regardless of who you are, where you come from, that's something that unites everyone, you know, and yes. it's it's really powerful. I just can't help but think when you reflect on the impact or what music has done for you in your life, what would you say is one impact that music has had? in your life? I would say as far as music, um, like I talk about diversity, equity, inclusion all the time. So it's just like that's, I always felt included. I never felt mm-hmm. like I didn't belong, no matter if it was like a church choir or a community choir or, uh, you know, choir at church. I mean, uh, it was choir at school. Um, even like now the gaming scores, like I just feel always felt included, regardless of you know what what I was singing or who I was singing with. That's awesome. That's really powerful. Um, like like you said, it's it's just a thing of unity when you hear a number of people singing and you can join the music, you can join the conversation because a lot of times music is so powerful and starts so 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 many subliminal conversations that people sometimes don't pay attention to. One of your articles that was actually published on the commercial appeal titled Black Youth Should Be Able to See Themselves in the Accounting Profession. You talk specifically about a conversation that you had with a church mentor of yours. And before I even say this, you had no clue (laughs) that you were a pre-med major and you also majored or you, you were a pre-pharmacy major as well before you transitioned into accounting. And it sounded like based on that article, um, what made you make that transition was a conversation that you had with a church mentor. And I can't help but think about the impact of mentorship in your career so far. Um, thinking through how you started and where you are now, it sounds like mentorship has been an incredible, uh, incredibly large part of your drive in general and and what guides you through your your career journey. Can you talk a little bit about what the conversation was? Like, what was that conversation? What is it that he told you that made you say, you know what, I'm going to put a pause on medical, the medical side of things and just make my transition to finance? Yeah, so it um, it was a she. She, uh, her name was Georgia Nicholas. And she, um, I don't know, she, she came back to the church, um, with her mom, she I think she lived in, I can't even remember, maybe 
I can't remember where she even moved back from, but she moved back home and I was talking about school and, you know, how I just wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And she just kind of told me about her career and she was in uh, finance and I just kind of like, oh, I, this person has an interest in me and like, let me consider this. I just kind of like went back and considered like, okay, what does this look like? You know, I'm early in my, you know, academic career. So let me, um, let me consider this. And I just, I, I think I had got to college to be, to be very transparent. I had got to college and I just wanted some relief. And I was like, you know, I wanted, I didn't know about this profession per se, you know, my mentor at the time, she was a finance person. And I was like, I think it'd be a little more, a little less stressful. And also like, I can do, like, I think I can do this. Like I, um, and it was just something that just clicked. And some people like, well, you're just being lazy. No, it was still hard. Like I, I still like had a difficult time, like, because I didn't know that terminology. Like no one told me, no one talked about, you know, budgeting and um, it's a different language right uh, no stocks you know, like no one talked about investments and so i was still had a difficult time you know, finishing but uh it was just something with that connection and it happens to me a lot i don't mean uh, someone takes interest in me and so i call them a mentor and then they either um you know bring you no know, discuss something discuss their career discuss, you know, you know a, a consideration for me. And then normally I kind of get that like, okay, let me do this my way, but let me also, um, you know, take heed to what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Some people may have difficulties finding a mentor. You know, it's it, it can be easy for certain people that are generally, you know, surrounded by people who support them or see something in them and pursue them. But in a lot of cases, there are people that don't have those individuals that actually pursue them and say, hey, I see something in you that I think we can work on. I think we can develop. How can someone find a mentor? Um, how, how can you identify who you can regard as a good mentor? And if you can find one, what else can you do to keep, give yourself that drive that you need to, to put yourself in the right direction? I know I was going to college and some people say, well, yeah, you had you know, some people in your life that, you know, that made sense and you saw that. Um, but I just had all these different goals for myself. And again, I, I'm just, I've just been fortunate to have people uh, be introduced into my life and for me to recognize that that was something that I needed to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like when I do seek out mentors, it doesn't work out. Uh, oh, it does not work out. Yeah, it does not work out. Like, um, <laughs> well, as, let me say, as not as the way I would think it would work out. Mm-hmm. And so, um, it's it's an interesting thing, mentorship. Um, again, the people I'm in a mentoring, the ones that seek me out, for some reason, it just does not work. Um, it it's when not. You say it does not does not work. Do you mean like you know you there isn't a connection there? Um, yeah, it's not as natural. It's not natural. Mm-hmm. Normally when it happens uh, for me, it's something that's mutual. Like 
someone would either just engage with me and then I would recognize that, oh, or I would engage with the student or someone else and then it just becomes natural that way versus I want to find a mentor. Mm. Like, so normally I don't just go out like, oh, I want to be your mentor. I have done that in the past, but it just seemed like, you know, people have been on the same, on the same page. They have to be on the same um, the wavelength. Like they have to want a mentor at that moment. So just think that, again, not saying it can't happen. Though, you know, people are starting programs and have programs as far as mentorship. I just haven't had the experience that I have intentionally went out to be a mentor or someone has intentionally came to mentor me. And it has uh, been a mutual uh, relationship. Normally what happens for me is that, you know, someone just shows an interest and they end up becoming the mentor. And sometimes I mean, even said, like I have people that I call mentors that know that we have never said that I'm your mentor. Like, so even that church member, she never said like, I'm your mentor. It just, it just happened. Like, mm-hmm. so when I got into finance she was make she made sure that okay he apparently in my mind that's what she said he apparently changed his major something because of me because of me so let me continue to make sure that i'm supporting and guiding him and so oh. that's how i realized okay this is some kind of mentorship mm-hmm. relationship is people seeing something in you and i think we all see something everybody no matter what the circumstances are so um i don't I think everyone has that person or persons that is always seeing something in someone. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just how do we, you know, be open to seeing that or receiving that. And I've just been lucky to like, okay, this person said this. Let me, you know, think on it. Let me, you know, figure out how I can do this. Take and some action. Was, yeah, take some, and, and, pretty much, and that's, and I'm, that's, that's my whole um, part of my life is like, need to take action. So I, mm-hmm. I don't like sitting around in meetings and talk about, you know, things. I like, what's the action? Like, what are, what are we going to do to get this done? It seems as though mentorship has really played a huge role in almost every aspect of your life. And I think that's critical because, again, you know how people say, you know, show me your friends and I'll tell you who you are. This is exactly where that plays a role, because when you think about where you are now, it is as a result of the people that you had around you that were motivating you and pushing you to be better. Um, And action, that's one thing that people don't really talk about much. You know, there's a lot of information out there, information overload but not a lot of action being taken uh, on what you're, what you, the information you're receiving. Yeah. And I'll also say it, examples, like, and I know it takes time for people to, you know, figure out themselves and, you know, be themselves and be an example. But once you can have someone that can do that and show you, you know, you start seeing yourself. And again, I think that will also what happened. I started seeing myself, uh, and these individuals that like, oh, I can do this. Like, oh, they, they see something in me. And even like how I became the chair, like I was uh, just another mentor. He was my chair. I like how he, you know, you know ran an apartment at Jackson State. Um, and he just became a mentor. And I just knew at that point, like, okay, I want to be a department chair. Like, I want to, like, I mm-hmm. want to do that as well. Like, I want to... Um, 
again, it's just the example that you see. So I think when you start seeing people, especially giving you advice and showing interest, and then also seeing yourself in people, I think those those things help you know, help a lot uh, to be able to you know get to have the confidence and to get to the next level of what you want to do as well. I think that's a really good point, and also makes me think about your purpose for writing the book to be able to show children that you can, in fact, see yourself in the accounting profession, regardless of the color of your skin, regardless of where you're from. And this is actually a really good segue because look at you here, a doctor, um, the youngest tenured associate professor in Howard University, um, and now also a published author. Uh, I really can't help but think about how you feel when you look at the the impact your book is making um, in the society right now. Uh, And I'm going to read a few comments for you. A few comments that I saw here about your book um, are the book exposes so much culture, diversity to children, plus it introduces uh, kids to accountancy. Another comment here says, this is a must read for every child. The author illuminates the diversity of career paths, especially for accountants. It also says a yeah, great book, very inclusive way so that children can find some uh, someone who looks like them and visualize themselves in such a career. So a lot of the comments on your book is aligned to what you ultimately are hoping that would happen more in society where people can see themselves in various career paths. How do you feel when you look at these comments? Do you have any sort of comfort that the book that you have put out to the world is making the impact that you wanted to make. Well, I knew that the book had an impact. When I I sent the information to the illustrator and so much applause and like she did an amazing job. Like she captured everything I was saying. Like we went line by lines. You know, again, the book is the you know, wording of the book is very simple, but mm-hmm. my intention was to introduce children to the book, but the, the point was they need to see themselves. And again, it may not be exactly, you know, as they see the, you know, see themselves, but it's hopefully someone in the book that they can say, oh, that's my cousin, that's my teacher, that's that's me. Like, I, I want them to see themselves um, represented in the book. And that was very conscious moment for me uh, and that was a pretty much the back and forth between me and the illustrator that I wanted children. But again, I talk about it all the time. You know, I'm, I just don't think this is a book for children. I think mm-hmm. this is a book for families. And so, if a you know mother or you know parents get this book, this is to start a conversation. You know, and hopefully they see themselves as well that they may not even have seen as you know when they were children. So. Uh, yeah, I'm very excited about the impact that I'm seeing. I didn't, I did not know it would be this great. Uh, <laughs> what I've seen, I've mm-hmm. I, every time I see something posted, or even like now this podcast, I just like, like what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> like, like I mean, I, I'm thankful. I'm grateful. Um, when I when I finished the book and I saw the finished product. I was happy. Like I was mm-hmm. happy regardless if it had sold one copy. And that is the 
very honest truth. Um, but then when I started, you know, seeing people requesting the book and, you know, like people contact, I have emails now, people contacting me and like, okay, I need to hire somebody. <laughs> I need to hire somebody <laughs> like, what, what, again, what is happening? Yes. I, I, I'm thankful, I'm appreciative and um, I'm hoping that it continues the conversation of diversity and inclusion and equity and justice. Like, yeah, it's just so many things that I didn't realize that was come, come from, that was going to come from the book. And so I just hope it continues these conversations and the action of other people doing things to continue, you know, the conversation. I love this. I love this. And for the benefit of everyone wondering what the name of this book, the, na- the, the book is titled, When I Grow Up, I Want to Be an Accountant. And this is a children's book that quite honestly has started conversations even amongst adults in industries. And, you know, a huge way to promote the accounting profession, but mostly promote diversity within the accounting profession. You know, I cannot talk about this book without mentioning diversity and inclusion, because I think that was one of the main purposes of of that book. Um, You stated in one of the podcasts that you recently recorded, the podcast is titled State of Business Podcast by Ohio Society of CPAs. And in that podcast, I'm going to read something that you said. You said you cannot do much if you have a homogeneous environment, especially if you are trying to serve a more heterogeneous environment. You also said you need people of all works of life to be part of every conversation. That's how you add value. That's how you bring diversity. That's how you bring equity and inclusion. That has to be a quote that should be framed and hung somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) That was a very powerful statement. And I really cannot help but think about you being one of the youngest or the youngest um, tenured professor in the accounting department at Howard University. And some of the challenges that you may have faced being in maybe uh, a group of people who are generally older than you and, um, you know, maybe a different age, different gender or race. Um, how were you able to manage that situation? Uh if you did go through any form of times when you felt you were on the table but weren't included, how were you able to manage that situation? And so I think what has helped me is that I feel my identity is a lot of different, it's minority groups. It's mm-hmm. the, the best thing I can think of at the moment. Like, uh, man, I'm very young to be in my academic profession. I was very young, young when I got my PhD. Uh, when I started, um, again, at every institution I've worked at, I've been the youngest person in my department. I've also had the experience of being the only Black person in my department before, as well as being the youngest. And I've also been the youngest and gay. And so it is all these different things that I've experienced and, you know, blatant discrimination, but um, there are situations that like, wait your turn. Um, And so I I attribute that to being young or, you know, just things that you just know that 
are biased because of my skin color or things that I have felt that, okay, once someone knows that I'm gay, that the energy is different. Mm-hmm. So I've experienced all those things um, at various places I've worked. And I just never want anyone, especially my students, to feel that. So I'm very conscious of that because that has been my experience. And so uh, even though I don't identify a certain way, um, I'm always conscious of how people, you know, disrespect somebody by not calling them by their uh, pronouns, not identifying them by the name that they want uh, to be identified by. You know, if there are, you know, a trans woman or, you know, male, or if they are, you know, non-binary, I'm very conscious to making sure that students are included and that no one is disrespecting them because of who they are. And so I'm very conscious of all those things. And I just try to be a, you know, advocate and stand up for anything that I don't think is human. <laughs> That's the best way I can put it. And so, yeah, I've had those experiences that I've had to, you know, say something because, and it could be the, it could be the smallest thing, but the smaller thing, I would not allow you to think that it's right. Again. Because then you don't stop. You continue it. Right. Right. Because what's small to you is, is not small to somebody else. Exactly. Like for exactly. you, you know, for you just us. You know, look at my appearance and call me a pronoun that's incorrect. I don't identify with, and I tell you better. You don't correct it, and you just brush it off. That's not acceptable. So, I just make sure that I try to be as present as possible. Again, I'm not perfect. Everyone can learn. Everyone can improve as a human being. But I just make sure that, just from my experiences that I've had, that I try to make sure that there's some equity. But again, knowing that's not equity, it's it's like. I, and I, I sometimes feel like I'm just trying to be, get people to be equal, but mm-hmm. we need to, well, we need to make sure that there's equity there, which is two different things. When, when I think about the topic of diversity and inclusion, I also wonder why this was not a cool conversation to have 10, 20 years ago. I feel like a lot of companies right now are really driving this conversation big time. It's like on everyone's page, everyone is talking about it now more than ever. Why do you think that is? So when I have conversations with people, I was asked, what is your definition of diversity? Mm, because powerful. everyone, you know, one person in push could be, you know, for people of color, which is, you know, I'm great. But like, are you truly focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion? And again, you know, at first it was like, you know, some people just use the diversity inclusion some people just using diversity some people we're, now we're using diversity equity and inclusion and again i think all three are important and i've seen some people use justice i think all four are important uh but how do you define those things and like what does that mean for your company or uh, your organization and so that's the question i like to ask to get a sense can you articulate what you truly mean mm-hmm. because if you can't articulate what you truly mean then you're not focused on diversity, equity, inclusion, or justice. From your perspective, what is the definition? What do you define that as? Uh, diversity? Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, so I think diversity is the inclusion 
of all people. And mm -hmm. so if that is, you know, based off of, you know, race and ethnicity, if that's based off of sexual orientation, if that's based off of gender identity, I mean, just so many things, like if it's based on religion, like it's just, it is everything. It is I love how you say that because I think a lot of people have called mentioned diversity and inclusion separately but you mentioned something that was very powerful now and you said diversity is the inclusion of everyone mm -hmm. and it's so funny because you could be invited to the table but not invited to speak you know so there could be diversity but then that inclusion is missing mm -hmm. and i think that's why it is important to also emphasize the importance of inclusion you you know employing a diverse group of people but not allowing them to share their perspective not listening to their perspective not including their perspective into the resolution to a particular problem especially if their their proposed resolutions are valid you are right there ignoring inclusion. And I think when people understand that diversity is not just having a wide variety of people in one particular space, but including them in the conversation when they are invited to the space, it helps provide some kind of clarity on what, what a good definition could potentially look like. Because to your point, a lot of people have their own definition of diversity. I think that was a really powerful definition right there, honestly. One thing that I also wonder is when we think about how we can be able to bring more solutions around this, your book is definitely a great one for children to help put in their minds that you could be different shades, um, whether black, white, uh, dark, whatever your complexion is or wherever you come from and be an accountant. What should universities potentially do now to begin to groom students to think the appropriate way when it comes to diversity and inclusion? Well, I think it's, it starts beyond the, the university, but um, all schools, like if it's pre-K, you know, to 12th grade, if it's, you know, community college, you know, four-year institutions, I think they all could look at the curriculum. Um, I had a conversation the other day about how, again, in general, the mm -hmm. curriculum is not diverse. Again, back to my diversity, I'm saying like, I can open the book and see myself in it. Mm -hmm. I don't, it's normal, normally you don't, I mean, unless it's a story of African-American studies, but we're still, you know, I mean, that's a, a set subject. And of course you was expect to see African-American you know, in the book, but just like accounting book, like accounting book, you hear all these stories, massive images, but those images normally don't look like, what is, I would say it's not as diverse as it could be. And so that's some conversation I'm having now to see how can we make, you know, just the curriculum more diverse. Mm -hmm. Like why just talk about Starbucks? Why not talk about you know, this black-owned company that everyone, you, know, you may not heard of, but, you know, it exists. You know, let's look at how they do business. Mm -hmm. And and so, again, you're showing the African-American student in the classroom. Well, not even that African-American student, that person that just <laughs> doesn't, is, is not, you know, that's non-white, I would say, mm -hmm. that, oh, you're introducing another group of people. I need to be able to see myself. You want me to be this? I need to be able to see myself in this textbook. I need to be able to read something in here that, oh, that reminds me of my uncle. 
that reminds me of mm-hmm. my, you know, sibling. Like, that reminds me of my parent. Like this, that reminds me of me. Like something that can connect students as they go through school. Like if if we are going through school and we're always seeing this is how history is represented, then of course we're going to come out and think like, oh. This is not right because we didn't learn about any gay people, even though there's gay people through history. Like, oh, we didn't learn about that, you know, this black person invented this. Mm-hmm. Like, again, so if we <laughs> make the curriculum inclusive, we yeah, start from pre K all the way through, you know, every discipline, I just think that will be one of the major accomplishments that we can make sure that we and people, we all see ourselves and get the true history of, you know what's happening in the world. For companies, you mentioned mm-hmm. something about speaking up. It's important that when you feel something, when you when you hear something that you think is not appropriate, you address it immediately instead of brushing it off. What else do you think could, could uh, companies can do to bring about some kind of resolution to this issue if it is something that could be resolved? Um, what do you think would be a good action to take from a company perspective? Again, instead of saying like, oh, we're going to start this initiative for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Like truly think about what does that mean? Truly be intentional about who is being a part of this. And also making sure that they have a presence of mind that what diversity is, for example. Talking to someone and uh, we're talking about this initiative to have diversity for African-Americans, uh, but the committee had no African-Americans. That makes sense. Mm. And so um, I was, I said to them, well, thank you for you know, reaching out. Like I can give you my perspective. And I, the conversation in this person is uh, Latinx. And so I was like, well, you know, you have a perspective. Thank you for reaching out to me. And I, we had this whole conversation about just because you have somebody on that committee that is that group doesn't mean also that they would be present of mind to re- realize some things. So we had that conversation. I told them, thank you for reaching out to me. You know, but see, like, there was no African-American on the committee. Mm-hmm. So that was the first thing. Uh, so making sure that, yeah, you do have someone on that board, committee, you know, um, but also that they're present, they have a present mind to make sure that they are truly focused on diversity. Like it, it shouldn't be, you know, I'm the black person on this board, but am I advocating for all? Like, am I truly focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion? Because I can be like, okay, I'm gonna sit here and make your quota. I'm gonna sit here and be you know, to, to say that you have diversity and inclusion, and I may even try to promote other African-Americans, but you also need to be promoting Latinx and SBTQ. Like, like, you can't just be okay with I'm the Black person on the board um, and just be okay. No, you just can't. You, got, you, have to, you have to push. Like, so you have to find, you have to make, you have to be very intentional, I feel, making sure that the person that you get at the table is going to be able to not only 
feast, <laughs> but also serve and give, you know, send a plate back home <laughs> to, <laughs> you know, to other people. One last question I want to ask before we end this. I think this has been an incredibly uh, um, thought-provoking conversation. And we've gone through different aspects of diversity and inclusion and the people it, it could potentially impact from children to working professionals. But let's take it back home. Let's think about you as an individual and everything that you have done to get to where you are from sacrifices to challenges to the smiles and tears. When you think about the core principles that has guided your decisions and your actions, what would those be? I think the core principles I have is to one, be fair. And I also want people to be respected. We, we may not all understand why this person does this or that, but that's not your place. Your place is to treat people as human beings and to be fair, especially in, you know, education and the workplace. And when something comes across my desk, like I'm not even, I'm looking at that person as a human, but I'm also looking at, is this fair across the board? Am I treating my faculty fairly? Am I treating my students fairly? I'm not looking at, you know, this person came from this family, or this person has this grade already. I'm making sure that I'm being fair and that they're being treated as human beings. So. I would say those two things is how I maneuver through life. Um, I try not to, you know, hear you know, this rumor or, or this how this person did this in the past. No, I would treat them fairly. I would treat them as a human being. That is very powerful. Dr. Adrian Mays, it is more than a pleasure, more than an honor to share a virtual stage with you. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time to have a conversation on Principled Minds. Um, I cannot help but be inspired by your work, um, the impact you're making with everything you're putting out there, and hope that someone out there has learned one or two principles to guide them through any challenges that you're facing, um, whether they're minorities or not. I'm hoping that someone learned something from our conversation today, and most importantly, like you do, take action to make it happen for themselves. So once again, thank you for uh, speaking with us and and I'm hoping that we would be able to do this again sometime. (laughs) Thank you so much, Charles. Absolutely. Our guest on this episode can be found on LinkedIn at Adrian I. Mays. His last name is spelled M-A-Y-S-E. And his book, When I Grew Up, I Want to Be an Accountant, can be found on Amazon. I want to say a huge thank you for rocking with us today. If you benefited from this uh, episode or you know someone that could benefit from the conversation of this episode, please, please share it with them. Thank you so much and see you on the next episode.